Hello and welcome to episode 324 of the Crate and Crowbar, a PC gaming podcast being recorded on the 21st of May. I'm Marsh Davis and I'm joined this evening by Chris Thurston. Hello, I'm very sorry. I've just done a massive cup of tea and I think I'm about to burp. And Alex Wiltshire. Good evening. I don't have a cup of tea, but I do have some water. Mm. Excellent. Can you can you bring up some kind of bubbly liquid <laughs> yeah, from your stomach? Or I can. On this kind of noise. In this sultry environment, yes. <laughs> Beautiful. Oh, our bad ASMR line just gets worse and worse. <laughs> Is there any PC gaming news this week? No. Oh. Hey, but hang on, hang on. I thought that you've been playing some PC gaming news, Marty. I have, that's right. Yeah, uh, PC gaming news we, we mentioned a couple of weeks ago was the upcoming launch of amazon's first foray into video gaming mm. uh, in the form of hero shooter crucible and that uh, foray has now been launched ford ford parade parade <laughs> parade into reality um and thanks, um, jeff bezos yeah well <laughs> is thanks really the right <laughs> the right so, response you and i played some some crucible uh, already Marsh? Yeah, we, we did. We did, yeah. And what was your predominant feeling? Was it a big hearty foray or... Uh... <laughs> a f more of a throw. Hmm. Oh. Um, yeah, I don't want to be uh, too uh, mean about it because I, f I feel like... Um, I feel like the spirit in which it's been launched is probably more as an early access game, even if that hasn't been the way it's been this launch has been presented. But it feels like something that is not finished mm -hmm. and will continue to evolve, and that should probably be fine. But uh, at the same time, I did it kind of expect it to emerge with all of Amazon's money behind it into something a bit more polished, even if it wasn't my kind of game. I thought they would have thrown so much money at it that for example the ui would work um tell me first and, tell me what this this crucible thing is i have not been paying much attention to this i must confess yeah so uh, like i said it was a hero shooter but i mean that doesn't really give you the the full scope of uh, what it intends to be and part of its problem is that it doesn't really know what it intends to be it it, it feels like they spent a lot of time taking the development in different directions and then sort of sewed the different experiments together and released it. Um, so it's this sort of uncomfortable mismatch of hero shooter, whereby you have you pick individual heroes who have their own very defined skill sets and uh, biologies um, and cartoon styles, and um, they're thrust into a huge, huge map, um, sort of battle royale style. And then there is a PvE element as well, uh, where there are uh, mobs around the level which you can harvest XP from to level up internally within those in individual matches. And then there's sort of boss monsters which you have to kill and then you take their hearts. And at the same time, there's another team doing the same thing. Um, so it's got this sort of MOBA aspect to it, uh, as well as being uh, a sort of... There is also a Battle Royale mode separate to this. Mm-hmm. And it has these these defined character sets, which you probably more likely associate with a a more focused sort of game, a bit like Overwatch. 
Um, and n- all of those things, my, I mean, I haven't played hours and hours of this. I've, I, I don't know, probably three, four hours. So I don't have a sense of how well all those characters are balanced together. But my initial reaction to it is that it has enough sort of larger scale problems that I'm a slightly skeptical that uh, it, it, it can actually come together without some major changes. I mean, how do you feel about it, Chris? I think I think that is correct. It, it feels it's interesting because the the kind of the the meta structures of it, like the battle pass and the set of skins and things, which are all very very closely modeled after other successful games like Fortnite and and Apex Legends, particularly actually, um, or do feel finished and ready for launch. Um, it doesn't feel like a beta test in that sense. However, I think you're completely right that its core game isn't doesn't feel like a answered question and i appreciate that makes that's that is me coming at this with super dry game producer terminology now but like it feels like they they have built this thing out in a few different directions both um in terms of mechanically and in terms of the characters and things and then have to kind of collapse it all into a set of game modes that kind of kind of work so um it feels like for example you know, that 4v4 mode where you're fighting to destroy these boss monsters and claim their hearts has what feels like tons of fairly unintuitive issues um, straight away. Like the fact that you, when you respawn, you do so at a random point around the edge of the map, And then you often have these very, very lengthy uh, periods of running back to where the fight is uh, in order to return to the fight, which is often the thing that tips uh, a win into a loss or, or vice versa due to, you know, so essentially, run back time or respawn time is is the the metric by which people are able to claim an objective and win the game, which is very similar to a MOBA, except a MOBA is kind of designed to funnel that in a particular direction. This is an omnidirectional battle royale map, or at least a map that feels like it was designed for battle royale first, and then had this mechanic pasted onto it. Mm-hmm. Similarly, characters have traversal mechanics, but that feel like in some cases that they were designed for a much smaller map. So, um, oh, the, yeah. character, the character that I was playing a ton of. She uses flamethrowers, and she can use flamethrowers to jet herself around, uh, which is cool. And it all, but it all applies to a heat bar. And um, and there is like I would say that it's quite nicely animated, and there's some satisfaction in figuring out how to chain those abilities together. But um, you know, it, it, this is just a microcosmic example. But like a heat bar is quite a punitive mechanic. It it, it puts you in a, a bad state for overdoing it, and. Um, the uh and that's fine in a combat encounter where like juggling your cooldown is is how the key to playing the character to well but also you generate heat by using a heat blast to kind of leap through the air or, or soar close fast to the objective and the game puts you under tremendous pressure to cover distance quickly or else you're simply not participating at all like yeah you, there is no game for you to play unless you can get there fast and so the fact that so it, it puts you in this that one set of well, I was going to say that one set of decisions, that one set of circumstances which feel like they stem from completely unrelated decisions creates a really common scenario with that character where you're constantly burning out your overheat bar to try and get to the fun faster. And then if you even if you balance it right, you're probably going to arrive there either late or with barely any of your heat bar available, which means you can barely do anything. And so it's definitely... Sorry. It, all I would say to finish that point is it's like there's... It's that's just. I mean, this is when I last spoke about this game. My fears for it. That's kind of exactly what I'm worried about. That's three different sets of like game design, from like traversal mechanics to cooldown management as a gameplay feature to 
uh, sort of map or to like sort of strategic rhythm and then how quickly you, I'm going to sound like such a dickhead saying this, how quickly players get to the fun or find the fun in what's going on and get a chance to participate in it again, how quickly players are allowed to iterate on their own performance and, and make it take another stab at it. Things that are super key to these kinds of games and it just feels like it doesn't work. And I think those when those things are wrong, that's what creates this feeling of like, I'm not quite sure what this is. Um, mm. Because none of your pathways into it are reliably delivering you to a single experience that makes cohesive sense and is repeatable. And when that happens, I think that is ultimately what kills these games. So it's quite worrying, honestly. Like, I, I just don't think it's there yet. Yeah, I think it's definitely those traversal mechanics that sort of speak to the the, the major problem that this game has, or at least it speaks to the fact that I think the characters and their abilities were designed for, like you say, much smaller encounters, possibly on flat terrain. <laughs> right. Uh, and they have just been transposed into this gigantic, very organic, um, incoherent feeling geography. And not, it's, it's not just that you have to use your, your pool of sort of uh, cooldown points whatever that is some characters have heat as one of their restrictions other characters have different restrictions but just you have to use that simply to get to where mm -hmm. the combat is because your traversal mechanics often consume um, from that same pool but the, the traversal mechanics just aren't suited to the geography that you're traversing um, so one of the characters has this sort of a lot of the characters actually have a sort of um, sudden boost thing. Uh, the character I was playing last night with you in one of our matches was Earl, who's this giant sort of, I don't know, alien troll thing, who cares? But um, he sort of boosts forward in, in this uncontrollable way. But because the train isn't flat, he's constantly kind of just jittering against everything. Like he's catching on everything. He's clipping into everything. And there's and it's like, well, that's, that can't be how that was intended, you know? Yeah. And then there's another character who has a grappling hook. And just it doesn't seem to follow any logic what surfaces can be grappled. Um, some of them just can't be grappled at all. Many of them are just out of range. It's, it, what range is your grappling hook and, and, and what good is it if you can't actually grapple onto anything above or around you? It's, it feels like that was designed for a, a, an environment which was much smaller, which had ceilings, for example. Right, and yeah, there are, and you and you're in in environments which are sort of these broken caves, basically. Mm -hmm. And you'd think, oh, okay, well, that's obviously why the grappling hook is there, is because I can hook onto this thing above me. But then you fire up, and turns out, yeah, no, the grappling hook fires out and then disappears because it's out of range, and then you, you can't get out of the situation and you're dead. That that is obviously a sign that that mechanic was designed for something other than its current implementation yeah right it's it's other things as well like so yeah as you said you it wants you to do this pve stuff and there's there's the implication that you know you're making decisions about whether to pursue the main objective straight away or level up uh, on this you know to to in order to win more fights later on that kind of thing um and that but that's very very uh hard to see expressed in the way fights actually turn out because there's so much else going on similarly there's a lot of distracting things on the map. There's lots of different features and things to go and find and monsters to fight and stuff like that. Um, but ultimately, a lot of fights are going to come down to weight of numbers and at respawn times and run back times. So it feels just based on a small amount of play relative to, to anything else that the team that runs around together will probably win most of the time. 
Um, mm. But that directly fights the kind of openness of the thing. And so, um, you, again, you're you're fighting a negative rather than trying to embrace a positive. Your your you know your success is based on characters not getting distracted and wander off. Because also, you know, the PVE stuff, the going and fighting monsters. Uh, one player can do it, two players can do it, the whole team can do it, but it's not, it doesn't feel like you'd hit, like, I don't know, something that would feel logical to me, like a boss monster, an optional boss monster that will give your team a huge buff, Roshan or the, the League of Legends dragon style that you need to take on together and strategize around. Like, that would be a logical way to bring people together, but that isn't present. And in its place, there's this thing you do with the beginning of the game before you kind of drop in initially, you pick you can make some choices about your character's level up tree for that game. So you, you make choices in advance with not very much information about how your character will level up rather than choosing things from the tree. When you level up, you pre, you pre bake your route to your character's particular, uh, you know, progression tree. And then you also see what um, events are in play, which will be things like health, health things that spawn or, other kind of traps that spawn and things like this in different parts of the map, which is kind of interesting, but doesn't seem that important because the overwhelming important thing is, can you run back to the fight fast enough? Like that appears to be the only real measure of what dictates which way a game goes really. Mm. Um, and I want like, but, and that in turn feels like a legacy of a different version of this game again when crucible was first announced and i think i said this on the previous podcast it was announced as a game that would be tightly integrated with twitch and this is a complete guess but it feels like things like you know these events that are outlined at the beginning of the game traps, um... health spawns things like this that drop into the game that feels to me like that was the hook where someone would vote on Twitch and it would deposit a health thing that the teams could rush to go and claim that kind of thing that I, I can understand. And then immediately kind of like see all the reasons that doesn't work um, or isn't interesting, um, but it, or it isn't interesting for people, but that's probably what that was there for. And it feels but it, like what's there when you don't, when you, when you remove that, why is it important? It probably isn't. And it's like, yeah, it's such a, I don't mean to 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 dunk on it too hard because there's there's some kind of quite nice character designs and like I said it's nicely animated and you know it's like it's all right but it's it's kind of like my my prediction is that there's probably too much money behind it for it to simply die um although there's a you know it's already got pretty negative reviews on Steam there's a, a chance here that they go like whoop this was out too early, some public mayor culpers, and it gets yoinked again, uh, which I think would be enormously demoralizing for everybody involved, but it's probably the right decision. Uh, the alternative is it sort of limps along. Um, I, I'm saying this as if it's not possible that it's a massive success, um, but actually, even if it's only been a very, very short amount of time, you can usually tell, and this is not a good start, and it doesn't seem like the kind of start that creates a phenomena. Right. If you compare this to the amount of hype that was generated around Valorant, for example, which is in a similar space in some ways, it's it's not comparable given the resources involved, the companies involved. And so yeah, like they've the I suspect it will limp along and its ongoing development, which it needs, will happen in the public eye. And there will probably be a point where they redo the entire map or they overhaul it. And at that point, you get the, oh, it's actually quite good now. They fixed it six months from now, a year from now. 
and yeah. maybe a following kind of drifts back to it, but has that ever actually happened? Yes, yeah, Fortnite. <laughs> well, <laughs> Fortnite sure, the example that was, of that. Right, but that was a that was a complete reinvention. Like Yeah, I, I kind of think that's what it needs to some extent. I don't don't think it's its parts are going to ever come together. They're pu- pulling it in, in different directions. Right, yeah. And I think the the thing about I mean maybe because you're a you're a MOBA fan, so maybe you can speak to this more, but I find that because the characters are so uh, so differentiated, they some are clearly designed as support characters, and others are obviously you know um, glass cannons, etc. Hmm. They need each other, like the they need each other to be a competent fighting force, and so having players solo doesn't seem highly viable. Which means the staggered spawn times just means that. Yeah, and unless your team are together, or you can get back to your team quickly, then then there's no game there to be had. It's 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 you're I, basically doomed, and and you don't control where you spawn in. You can choose spawn points, but those whether those spawn points are available or not, I does not seem to be in your control, and I don't know what affects that. Sometimes the only spawn points that would be available would be miles away, so you have no choice but to end up trickling in one after the other and getting destroyed. But I mean, that's that is a a, a, um, a thing that you can force in, in Dota, right? To in order to disrupt another team is yeah. to is to force them to to spawn irregularly. Why is that good in Mobas, but feels so awful here? In 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 a Moba, it's it's called kind of catching people off tempo, and it usually means or pushing. So often, um, you think of it as tempo control, which often comes down to who's who's dictating the pace of the match, and that's often set by um, kills and follow up kills, etc. So if if for example, my team kills someone from your team, but then you manage to come back and kill someone from my team, um you've reset the tempo because now we're both waiting on a respawn. Uh, whereas if I can force a second one from you, the reason it works is there's a few reasons. One of them is um, kills can take place while quite characters are doing predictable activities in the open world. Maybe they're, they're laning or they're off in the jungle or something like this, but um, kills disrupt a kind of business of the game that is fairly predictable rather than the teams as in crucible being pulled from one point of interest to another as blobs basically the ultimate points of interest in a moba are the bases and the bases are also where you respawn so one thing that means is that defending teams or teams that are on the back foot effectively have shorter respawn times because even if their respawns are the same their runbacks are a hell of a lot shorter so um and that's not the case when what is effectively the ancient in crucible is spawns in a random place in the world and as you say the really confusing respawn system puts you any distance away and I think the effect of this on the game from a meta sense is actually really predictable. It makes characters with um, more sustainable movement mechanics, like speedy characters, just better, I think. Like, I actually wouldn't be surprised if um, a balanced team was the correct way to play Crucible currently at all. I think if you could pick more than one of the same character, you would just pick the fastest character four times and you'd win. Because you just because that is such an overwhelming... Um, like uh that's such an overwhelming issue like if it doesn't matter what your what your kit is or what your contribution is or what your skill level is as a player none of it matters if you can't be present and you know in a moba there are or i'll use dota as an example there are ways to um create drama out of that phenomenon so for example um uh there are famous moments in competitive dota where 
um, a game has been lost on the fact that someone somewhere manages to cancel someone's teleport scroll animation at the right time, which is an item that will you can spend to teleport yourself uh, back to base or to another building. If you cancel it, it has like a, it used to well, maybe it doesn't work so anymore, but it used to have like a minute cooldown. And if you're casting it and it gets cancelled, the cooldown is still kicked in. So you've you've taken away that person's ability to teleport for 60 seconds, which can be enough to turn the tide of a game. But the important thing about that is it was kind of all interactive. Like the character chose to use their teleport scroll, and maybe they chose to use it in a place where they weren't particularly well hidden, and another player was smart enough to find them and cancel it. And so they, you know, players interacted in a particular way that enabled something to happen. In this, it's just you died, which is a thing that happens. And then your spawn point was far away because it was, and it's not really sure why that was. And then you happen to be playing a character who can only go a certain speed. So guess what? You're not making it back in time. And I remember this happened to us in the last game we played where it looked like we were winning um, because we were going to claim the last heart to win. But then, um, you know, the enemy team got the drop on you and me. Our teammates are a little bit too far away to help. Uh, they beat us. Our teammates arrived, but they trickled in. So they died. And then it was like, it doesn't really nothing we even though you and i were like sat on waiting to respawn and there's like maybe a minute left in the game it literally didn't matter what we did at that point it, because there was no way for us to even participate in the next there would be no next battle because it was at the point of fair complete and i think that is such a critical issue with a game like this because if you should never in an action game a competitive action game you should never have a point where it really doesn't matter what you do like even in the counter-strike model where you can be in a situation, and I appreciate this sort of comes from Valorant as well, Like, but where you can be in a situation where you're too late to the bomb site and the bomb is definitely going to go off. The design of the game still creates space for you to, for example, try and kill more enemies to mean they lose their guns so they get behind on economy before they win, even though the win is inevitable, or you run to save your own equipment so that you at least have an equipment advantage in the next round. Like, good games like this have interesting decisions that players can make even in the bleakest situations and just this one respawn system and the size of them means it's just not there which is man it's it's not it, it's the sort of thing that you shouldn't release a game like that i think that's a super damning but yeah <laughs> what's the what's the um the heritage of this game and the studio it's called the studio is called relentless isn't it but it's a an internal amazon studio who are the people behind it does it have anybody who's worked on this kind of game before um yes yeah, so i think the well i don't know about this this particular kind of game i think uh, i did took a cursory look at the credits uh last night and and um one of the lead designers appears to be um have some heritage uh in the mmo space i think he worked on guild wars 2 amongst other things um, but I, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know what the, these things say about the, the project as a whole because, I mean, it's 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 got to have been quite a difficult th thing for uh, a company with no video game experience to suddenly build a studio to to make a, a hit game. So I, I, you know, basically what I'm saying is I, I wouldn't I wouldn't peg the game's current state too heavily on the on the people who are making it like it's it's not necessarily their fault this is just <laughs> <laughs> right yeah also actually i think the mmo thing is is the other comparison i would make it does feel quite a lot like wow arena or guild wars pvp now that you mention that there are definite comparisons there um but 
it's again those games feel designed for a much narrower space than this is like guild wars pvp is traditionally quite a tight kind of arena you know experience that is played in rounds as well whereas yeah man it's kind of interesting like i wonder if the 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 spawning boss monsters are designed to pull you from you know to turn different parts of the map into the real arena if that makes sense but it doesn't really work that way because players don't arrive at the same time yeah man it's weird super weird that map also just does not feel like it was designed for this purpose either um just the way that it's framed which is it's this huge sort of alien organic space um it's not it doesn't have uh enough distinct landmarks to make it easily navigable uh i say this as somebody who's not overly familiar with it so maybe that would change but uh, it's certainly not as instinctively uh navigable as uh the new you know the war zones map for example yeah or, or any of the maps. yeah and uh the landmarks it does have are obscured because the the sight lines there aren't necessarily that generous of sight lines down it because it's this organic space which uses a lot of caves um and it's just sort of hemmed in irregularly by giant blue glowing walls. And it feels like, hmm, that, that feels like the, a, a territory from maybe a, a, an MMO or a, a single player game that has just been sort of cropped and, and hemmed in. There's, there's one part of it just along the border where this blue wall, uh, the, 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 the terrain near the blue wall suddenly drops off and there's this sliver of the map which is a, a just a death drop and you go into it and it's uh your your character sort of floats in the air for a few seconds wobbling and then dies and like nowhere else on the map as far as i could tell is there a death drop it's just in this tiny little crevice that seems just like it was yeah i mean i was i was genuinely very impressed when you managed to fall down the only hole in the world <laughs> yeah well it's because i didn't expect it to be there i, I expect yeah, to be able to go up to, because i mean what's the point of having a giant blue wall if that is not actually the thing that stops you going from to the edge of the map yeah right <laughs> um yeah I, I it's a very kind of incoherent space and that that also adds to the problem of the respawn times because it's just it's just difficult to just orient orient yourself as well as to physically get to the fight on time yeesh yeah i feel them yeah it's like but like we said we first discussed it when they sort of revealed it like it's such a tough proposition to make a game like this work unless you have a really clear selling point um and i don't think that selling point necessarily has to be easily articulated like obviously it's really good to be able to do the tom francis thing of you know crafting a really punchy elevator pitch for a game that you know makes for a perfect first line for a steam store or something like that that's not always necessary not every game comes from them but you need people to come away from their first match like excited to play again even if they only got a glimpse of what's possible you know what i mean like you know you, you the, the whether it's a design for mastery or something like that like after, like i i went into my second game of this because I was so bemused by the first one that I was sure I should have missed something or must have missed, you know, uh, that this time I will understand why it is like this. And I didn't really, which is, yeah. Mush, what's your um, 
What's your review of the characters? Well, so uh, uh, first blush, uh, which, which we talked about last week when there was more of a sort of character reveal, um, I thought they were um, quite bad. <laughs> in, in Well, let me caveat that by, by saying I think the, the artists who've executed them are very talented, but I, I feel like they've been directed to to create things which aren't super interesting like i feel they've they've been um they've been shackled to uh an intention to create things which have a requisite number of bullet points like they they uh you you know you have the the robot character you have the character who is basically rocket raccoon from um guardians of galaxy you have the soldier who is in no way more remarkable than just being a soldier. He's he's, even, he's called uh, Mendoza, yeah, because uh, he is a man. He's ma- he's a man dozer. He's and a man who makes you go asleep. <laughs> <laughs> there's a big Brutus with the chain gun. Uh, you know, it's it's just it's ticking off a lot of things that uh, feel incredibly tawdry. Yet there there has been an effort to uh, make the characters. Uh, ethnically and gender diverse and there are sort of accents to the characters which i think reveal sort of uh, a bit of an ingenuity and if you on the character select screen if you click on the characters repeatedly they sort of give out a, a large number of different voice lines explaining their backstory and uh one of those backstories made me chuckle a little bit <laughs> that was a good joke in there it says mom um, i was born so- in a lab i was experimenting <laughs> on drugs is it like that? Um, sort of, but it's it's actually um, it's actually more meta. Like all of them, uh, nearly all of them have uh, some sort of meta joke about being clicked on because you're clicking on them. And the first time I saw that, I was like, oh yeah. And then I realised that all the characters do that. I was like, oh, yeah, okay. I mean, to be fair, you're going to nick anything from Blizzard, Nick. Like, like yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, the um, the, yeah. the the bug character is is it's got. Uh, is well voiced and has uh, a good joke in her character description. The rest of them, though, I don't know. I just didn't feel like there was a lot going on. I wasn't tugged into the story. There's some uh, overarching story about unity, which appears to be some sort of, you know, would be utopian or is it fascist um, intergalactic organization of some sort, oppressing slash liberating people. It's um. Uh, yeah, the, if if yeah. your utopian government, space government, the first thing they tell you, explain how to do is to crack open an otherwise innocent space turtle so that you can consume its essence, then <laughs> you're probably in Avatar territory here. You know, like it's definitely got that vibe. I will say though, um, Captain Mendoza or whatever his name is, his tagline, his like MOBA style descriptor is the Unity Man, um, which <laughs> I think is intended to reflect his allegiance with this, you know, space fascist government or something. But to me, it just makes it sound like a man we got from the Unity Asset Store, <laughs> which could also be true. <laughs> uh, yeah, I did. Um, I did also think there was a. It was kind of interesting that they decided to take the, the shark boy from Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild that made everybody horny and make him <laughs> an edgy '90s comic book cyborg. Yeah. Yeah, he is the. Um, oh, I asked you this last night. What's the name of the uh, uh, the the goth uh, skull 
boy from Reaper. Overwatch. Reaper. Reaper. Yeah, he's he's very much Crucible's Reaper. You gotta have one, or else the edgy boys will wander off into the wilderness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you will not have a bountiful harvest come Q4. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there were there are some I mean there's there's some other interesting characters. I think uh, I forgot what his name is. There's a, there's one character who has a robot pal who oh, uh, it... can be sent sent off separate. Something and brother is yeah. the name of the character. <laughs> I forget what. But um all I knew is that, that seems like an interesting dynamic. Yeah, something in Brother does make him sound like an artisan pizza restaurant. Yeah. It does <laughs> yeah. IPAs. But <laughs> hey, you know, at least it feels modern. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, you know, I mean, uh, there's probably a comparison between, you know, staging, uh, staging a hero shooter inside a, a MOBA environment and serving a milkshake inside a, inside a bucket or something like that. Mm. It's, the, uh, it's the Soho way. <laughs> not anymore it isn't because you can't deliver that <laughs> <No>. <laughs> thanks Jeff I think that's all we can say mm. I've been playing a game as well Have I you? didn't play really? that game but I've been playing Jet Lancer have you heard of Jet Lancer? oh yeah no I've seen GIFs of it it looks very nice yeah it's a very GIFy game um, it's a side on kind of uh, arcade um, aeroplane-y shooter game. It's a bit like Luftrausers, very similar seeming to Luftrausers, certainly in the GIFs, where it's kind of big explosions and lots of screen shake and pixel looks, but much more colourful. Um, and I've probably played it about an hour or something, and it's very diverting. It's a very nice little game. <laughs> I killed a, a great big um, water, um, robotic water demon, well, dragon, I suppose you'd call it, that curled up into the sky and went round and round in circles and things. And I shot it with my shooty guns and my rockety rockets. And it was good. I'm pleased for you and for it. (laughs) (laughs) It's a funny one. Like I I thought that um, I was expecting it to be very Luft Trousers. And as I was playing, I was thinking, God, this is really Luft Trousers. So I thought I'd play Luft Trousers again for the first time for quite a while now. And it's very different to Love Browsers. Do you I mean? Do, did you play Love Browsers? I've played lots of Love Browsers. Yeah, I did as well. It's amazing how sort of how quickly you forget the things that make it Love Browsers, as opposed to just just another sort of side-on like shooter. Or, yeah, yeah. Like it's it's this sort of sense of thrust and sort of you you know you're constantly moving up and down relative to the air uh, to, to the ground you get a real sense of that and when you when you dip into the well it's the sea in that case you've got a sort of a, a second or so as this kind of damage circle kind of closes in before you destruct if you go into the sea but if you can bounce out of the sea fast enough you'll be fine like and the damage you get kind of also decreases that circle you know around you showing that it's basically a health thing and it and it sort of then it moves back out again sort of um recharging you know once you're out of danger like really tight sort of systems like this this is like a jet lancer is much more um conventional like you have three uh hits like three sort of um hearts uh that that damage is dealt with um it deals with the hitting ground thing 
with um well i thought i didn't realize until a little way into it but basically if you go near the ground at the start of the game um you'll be sort of automatically steered back up into the sky again which can be quite disorientating because you think that you're kind of getting a bead on an enemy and then suddenly you're kind of being zoomed off up, upwards and out of the way but um it turns out that that's one of its modules so this is a game in which you as you play through its missions you get new modules for abilities and different weapons and things and and this thing that makes you stop makes you avoid hitting the ground is one of those modules so you can actually switch it off which is pretty neat but what, another thing i forgot about loft trousers is um is like the huge variability in the different ships you can have like because mm. you can change the hulls and the weapons like you sort of get these great lumping kind of things that just fire massive gouts of bullets all over the place um and this one like i don't know i haven't unlocked that many modules yet but i'd be surprised if um if the modules make you feel anything other than this, this sort of live kind of dodgy shoot uh, you know dodgy sort of ship that you are from the start like zipping about like there isn't the sort of lumpy sort of round kind of bullet beast that you can get in love trousers <laughs> <laughs> which is exactly there's the sort a, of thing I, have a, to be. I can't believe you just said the phrase lumpy beast in your love trousers yeah <laughs> <laughs> we've been we've been dancing around some real cracking sentences just because love trousers is fun to say but you, you i'm glad i didn't ruin it earlier because you really really drove this one home i'm very proud of you <laughs> Oh, another thing that this one, um, that Jet Lancer does is um, it's got a dodge roll where you you just you can hit a button and you can dodge through bullets and things like just a few invincibility frames. Nice, and that is nice. Like, and that is the big differentiator. This is a game in which once you're past the first few missions, the screen is pretty much full of bullets and ships and lasers and uh sky dragon things and like you're just dodging 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 all the time and it's not on a cooldown as far as i can tell so you could be pretty laissez-faire with it it's a nice game it's a nice game and it's like fully sort of it's got a story and it's got characters it's got a bit too much text a bit too <laughs> the, the conversations are a bit too long and i don't care about them enough and <laughs> And that kind of thing. There's another thing, actually. Um, the two little super, mi really, really minor bugbears. These these are so irrelevant, but they just really get on me. So, so this is um, this is like a, a one of the indie games which follows the the Nintendo thing of coloring text in um, dialogue to draw attention, like the the, the classic Nintendo way. The classic, I think it was yeah. established in Zelda or something. The classic. It was classically developed to point your your attention towards a thing you're meant to be doing or a place you're meant to be going. Hey, don't worry about reading it all. That's the thing you need to care about, you know. Um, in this one, it seems to use it just for emphasis or for like you know for for italicization without italics. It's really odd. Completely random words uh, like do do that was highlighted red and the only one in quite a big paragraph. No idea why. Presumably, I was meant meant to read it like "do" or something. I don't know. It's really odd. <laughs> and the second thing is that the it's a it's a pixel game, um, but with uh, a lot of the UI is um, is full res. And I have issues with that, but I appreciate a lot of people don't. And you know, and that it's a style thing, and that's cool. But in this one, the font they use for the dialogue 
it's it's Google's Roboto. It's the one you get in in uh, in Gmail. And I don't like oh. I, I don't like playing Gmail game. I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> do you, do you not find that typefaces kind of take you to the places where they're the most depressingly used? <laughs> this just um, me, isn't it? It is just you, but <laughs> You're being very I can polite. kind of sympathise. <laughs> But it's like, I don't know, you've kind of gone to this, they've gone to a lot of effort to make this kind of very colorful world. It's like very sagery blue skies and an equally sagery blue uh, water. It's got this sort mm. of um, uh, sort of uh, Super Nintendo Mode 70 feel to the parallaxy mm. backgrounds. So they kind of go off in this plane of, you know, that sort of pseudo 3D looking plane of kind of very blocky um, textures if into the distance. And it's got you know a background layer of of horizon which has huge dis- destroyed structures and mountains and things in it nice. like, there's a lot there's a lot of kind of care gone into it but then there are this sort of and then you know the, the animations at the start there's the sort of cutscenes of things are really nicely done zooming mm. through tunnels and and colorful stuff and you know it's, and then but the but then the, the fonts Oh, Gmail font. Three out of ten. Three out of ten. <laughs> Fuck it. <laughs> I bet. I bet that's a, a, a localization thing, though. Probably is. Um, because finding pixel fonts that have all the characters for uh, other alphabets is very, very, very hard. I mean, it. I it doesn't have to be a pixel font. I'm, I'd accept it if it was a a little a lesser known Google font. <laughs> <laughs> Google fonts font. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it's some. I, but that is a, such a minor thing, as I'm sure everybody listening is going, what the <laughs> fuck? Why is he still No, it makes a that? big difference. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's a good game, and uh, I recommend it. Um, Jet Lancer. He's nice. Shame about the fonts. Shame about the fonts. Luftraus has crashed on me, though. I, think it, I don't think it's been updated in a long time, so I wonder whether it's, 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 it's long in the tooth. Mm. Oh, dear. A misfire from the lumpy beast in your love trousers there. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we do some questions from questions? Yes. Ah. Ah? I, I just thought I'd make a noise. I'm sorry. Okay. I thought the golf squad had taken you, Chris. <laughs> never, not with NVIDIA RTX as my ally. <laughs> uh, Colin writes, Dear Byronic Commandos, Deep Rock Galactic nice. released this week. On May the 13th, and I was surprised by the lack of mainstream coverage. This game is an early access success story, and it's loaded with charm, lore, and inventive game mechanics. I'd argue that it offers a satisfying co-op experience as games like Left 4 Dead or Destiny. As a personal challenge, I dare you to play DRG with a friend or two and not feel something tickle in your black hearts. But I feel Mm. gloomy about all the attention and free publicity that gaming sites give IPs like Anthem, a cynical Frankenstein disaster of a game, which goes to show (laughs) how heavily the scales favor for the AAA developers. And it makes me sad, Colin. Wow. Makes me sad, comma, Colin, or is that from com? It's from Colin. (laughs) Makes me sad, Colin. Makes me sad, Colin. (laughs) Um, Well, I think that's not necessarily, again, a fair characterization of exactly why those games get different levels of coverage. I think one of the things developers need to be aware of if they go the early access path is that they, unless unless there's some phenomenal reason to recover it, 
sites will necessarily exhaust their coverage desires the first time you go out the gate. Um, it you know it it would really take a sort of significant change for sites to be driven to really roll out the the party bus again um, when you're yeah. released for a second time. And similarly, it's not really. I mean, I agree that there's probably mileage in a gameplay comparison between Deep Rock Galactic and Anthem, but Anthem was also a you know a, a fated game from a storied team that people wanted to see the next thing from and then that means that even when it's a failure it's a notable failure that people want to hear about so it doesn't surprise me that it gets a ton of coverage like Mm. it's newsworthy basically um a different game being bad would not have been newsworthy in the same way yeah it's the truth and it also doesn't take away from the fact that um deep robert galactic is um when I played it, when it first came out in um, uh, early access, it's really fun, super fun. I really, really enjoyed it, and we should really play it, the three of us. I'll, I'll, I'll be a dwarf with you, Alex. Yeah, oh, I'd love to be a dwarf with you. I'll get beardy in space. Yeah, it's yeah. um. All right. I remember the, the 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 coolest stuff that I've the thing that I really loved about it was well, there were two things. The first thing was throwing a flare down into a dark hole and just watching it light up the sides of the the kind of the cavern as it falls down. That was so good. And lighting up a cavern by just, you know, throwing successive flares around it to light, you know, so you can see where all the the precious ores that you're going to claim from it. And the second thing was making sure the the mining path that you dig down is something that you can, because you have to, so the idea of the game is that you, you go down into the mine and you get as much stuff and then you make your way back out again, um, taking the path that you set uh, to begin with. And if you if you dug yourself a shit path that you can't get back out of very easily, you may well have screwed yourself for getting home. And that was a, a really good feeling. The kind of decisions you made at the start makes, you know, have an effect later on. It was really cool. Sold. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I'll be up for that. Sounds like a good... Maybe this weekend we could. Yeah, Space Dwarf weekend. Space Dwarf weekend. It's Coffee Stain, lads, isn't it? Lads. Who um, uh, do they Coffee Stain make it or oh. they publish it? Right, they publish it. Maybe, maybe yes, I think they publish it. But it's ah, yeah. by it's by a studio. It's a, I think Swedish studio. I interviewed them a while back, a long time ago, for Rock Paper Shotgun about mm. its design. But yeah, they are nice people, if I remember correctly. Mm. Or they might be horrible because I might be misremembering. <laughs> <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's my insight. I know that uh, Daniel Kaplan, uh, a friend of mine who used to work at Moyang, has something to do with it. So uh, I, yeah. I won't necessarily be impartial. Um, it's a very nice man, and uh, wears incredibly he? tight cycling. <laughs> you might be misremembering that, Marty. <laughs> tight cycling pants, you say. Tight cycling pants, yes. His his own love trousers. You, honestly, you could see everything. It was quite shocking. <laughs> um, in a work environment, in other contexts, it would be fine. Cycling, for example. <laughs> <laughs> Tom writes in, Dear Cravens, Crowbars and Corvids, Assorted. Having loved sorcery in 80 days, I was really excited to play Heaven's Vault. I can live out my archaeologist fantasies. Learning to translate an ancient forgotten language sounded great. I can be confident that there would be a good story. 
but this is one of the most frustrating games I've ever played. It's so hard to work with. You have to fill the camera into just the right place to interact with the environment. Walking around is slow, and the rules about where you can walk feel so arbitrary. And then you'll pay it paired with the world's most annoying robot, who, when you discover a single artifact about a minute into what is clearly a crucial location, stops you to ask if you want to leave now, and then does this every time. And just as I was getting hooked by the story, really getting into the translation, pushing through the boring parts, I went back for another look at a location and it railroaded me into the end game with huge parts of the plot unexplored and unexplained. Done. I was furious it took my choice away. And so, of course, I immediately started again. It has a game plus mode where the translations get more complex, which is nice. But there are games I loved with great replayability that really deserve a second playthrough that I've never touched since the first time. What shameful life decisions have you guys made due to rage? Thanks for the pod. <laughs> he also has a PS and a PPS saying um, uh, he loves little grey cells and um, he wants to thank Sorry. you, Chris and Pitt. Uh, even if you never come back to it, you helped us find something truly wonderful. And the PPS is probably ages ago. I'm pretty sure Chris said he loved getting the band back together trope. Um, have you come across Kings of the Wild by Nicholas Eames? It's like what if bands of mercenaries were treated and behaved like classic rock bands. It's great fun. That sounds fun. Mm. Yeah. We get a few messages about Little Grey Cells and we should try. I don't know. I'm done making promises for what we won't have the bandwidth to do, particularly right now. But yeah. thank you for the nice, the nice words. They were nice. What was question? <laughs> uh, have you made any shameful life decisions uh, due to rage? But I mean, uh, I think probably uh, getting out of things which get us in legal trouble, maybe we should focus that on game-related rage incidents. Or indeed, a simple response to Heaven's Vault, if you have one. I have to say, I, I agreed with all of his criticisms. I, I really, I was deeply, deeply engaged by the archaeological aspect and the translation aspect of the game but i found uh i was fighting every other aspect of the game and its interactions just to get to those parts and in the end i i had to give up uh, as much as i, I liked do, those bits i do wonder i didn't finish um heaven's vault and i feel bad for not finishing it because obviously i really respect what it was setting out to do and indeed mm. what it achieved to a great extent i do wonder and i know that pip got a lot out of it but i do wonder about the utility of it being a 3d game yeah. I don't know if we discussed this at the time, but I, the other day I was just sort of daydreaming about what that game would have been like as a more traditional like 2D point-and-click adventure on either pre-rendered or drawn, you know, art backgrounds. And it does feel like, because so much of the fun of that game was cerebral and based on interfaces, I don't think I would have missed the ability to walk around a 3D environment on relatively fixed paths. Um at all, really, you know, or even sort of isometric, um, little big adventure style. It just feels like there were perhaps more efficient ways of delivering what they were going for. I don't know. Yeah. That's that's my mild take. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so as it might be clear from that mild take, I don't really experience rage. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, um, but I assume it all has to go somewhere. And I appreciate that I probably do at least encounter the, the things that should prompt it. And so one can only assume that it will come out eventually. Bottle it up. That's what I say. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Bury it very deep down. Yeah. Have it exactly. etch away at the very core of your being for years mm. and years and years until there's nothing but a black ichor in the center of your being. Mm. And uh, Well, I yeah. mean, 
like my therapist hasn't found it yet and he's like pro at this right? <laughs> really poking it, for it yeah exactly it's like one of those deep galactic dwarves just <laughs> going to town trying to find that deep vein and uh yep nope nope I, I solve this by being permanently angry at everything. So I, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah sure I have a, you've got... both a diffuse level of rage, which is permanent, and, and a really pent-up level of rage. So, you know, I, I like to think <laughs> you, uh, I occupy you, you, the so rage. So you put spectrum. away a little bit in the bank while also spending it willy-nilly. So. Yeah, yeah. I'm angry right now. I don't even know why. Like a kettle in a volcano. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, incredible. What healthy emotional lives we lead with regard to the media we consume. <laughs> I did notice, actually, that um, uh, ages and ages ago, when we were talking about The Hunt, uh, the greatest game of all time, Hunt Showdown, mm. uh, I was saying I didn't find the, that it made me angry because I, I felt the circumstances in which I died were generally so vastly out of my control because the people I was fighting were way better than me. Uh, that I didn't really, um, it felt more like being hit by lightning than <laughs> anything that was my fault. Um, but as I've got better at the game, uh, I've definitely got a lot angrier at it. <laughs> um, well, I have to yeah. say that the last time we played uh, Hunt, you died in a way that was so spectacular, I don't think anything will ever top it. Um, uh, yeah, no, that was, that was pretty special for me as well. <laughs> uh, yeah. Having... Yeah, uh, honestly, incredible. I might need to upload the clip because uh, having in a, in a 1v3 scenario where most people uh, would be expected to die, not only did you kill all three of them and then yourself um, in, a, in a true last stand fashion, but you did it while, as far as I could tell, like um, piano rolling down your own hotkeys, <laughs> equipping every different item you were holding, like... <laughs> like fucking Bugs Bunny or something um, before <laughs> for throwing a grenade at your own feet, killing the final cowboy and leaping to your death for no reason. It was genuinely yeah. spectacular. Yeah, I survived everything and then uh, sprained my ankle to death, um, which, <laughs> is, uh, which is the most ignominious way I could have concluded that. that Honestly, fight. it was heroic. I was like, I mean, obviously your survival would have meant we could have continued with the game, but no, I was glad if I to go, Yeah, if we're going to go, let's go like that, you know? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, despite wiping that team, uh, nothing I did there was uh, evidenced any prowess whatsoever. It was only because of the inordinate incompetence of my opponents that I survived that long. I don't think that's um, wholly true. I understand what Jim says when he says that you have a beast mode. Like, you, you, like, <laughs> you fire a lot and not all of them hit, but occasionally it's like two calculated gut shots that kill the person who's charging you down with a bayonet or something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's a killer lurking in there is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it doesn't come out very often, I have to say. That was the first time in a long time that I actually uh, killed anybody because just we go through these cycles where the, the, the matchmaking pits us against people who are so vastly above our level. Even if the game says that they are only a level or two levels above us um, in terms of their ELO, um, they have like a, a kill-death ratio, which is like five. You know, they they mm. literally kill five times as many t people as they are killed themselves, and I have a kill death ratio of something like zero point eight, um, 
which is I, I don't know why I'm against them. Like I'm, yeah, I'm right. clearly not good enough because they always kill me. But I think I think what happens is that there must be some sort of elasticity to the elo such that um it it or rather not elasticity, sorry, it it um it doesn't depreciate as quickly as it appreciates. So you can kill mm. somebody who's a level two levels above you and we play occasionally with um, a guy called ink who's incredibly good at the game he's just savant level excellent so obviously we get matched with people who are just murder bots basically and very occasionally if i play enough matches i will land the last shot on somebody he softened up for me (laughs) and and i might kill them (laughs) and suddenly boom my elo is way way beyond my actual abilities and then when i go and play uh, with jim who is still better than B, but more appreciably a similar level, we end up just getting pounded for a good two weeks solid before we can actually play people who are even even within our realm. Um, <laughs> and it, it feels awful, actually. Like, I don't know. It's clearly, they clearly haven't solved uh, the ma- matchmaking as as a problem because it, it, just, it just feels punishing. Like, we, we occasionally scrape a win and then it's just two weeks of just being absolutely blatted by people who who we shouldn't be ever matched against. And it makes me it, sad. That's, that's kind of weird because I get that experience, but like I haven't really noticed a similar cadence in my own play, really. Like I predominantly just play with um, Paul, uh, Scott Canavan, friend of pod, and we go through obviously periods of feast and famine in terms of wins and losses, but they feel fairly evenly distributed. And I don't know if that just comes from playing with the same person a lot. So we probably have a fairly stable ELO. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, um, I don't know. I don't know uh, somewhat. I'd be interested to to figure that out. So I also know that you tend to play a lot more cautiously than we do. Like we have quite fast games, like we're quite smash and grabby. And we do quite frequently make off with bounties and escape and stuff. Um, but I wonder to what extent that comes from, like, and that maybe helps in a way because it it means maybe that more games are getting done, so mm. the experience averages out. I don't know. I genuinely don't. Just sort of, yeah, interesting. Yeah, I don't. I, I also think maybe because you are you have a certain uh, Zen attitude towards uh, the the equipment you have. Like you'll just take right. whatever equipment the character has, whereas uh, I, I feel like I need to massage my inventory so i have the right the right tools each time which means uh which isn't a better way to play i'm not saying that but it's much more costly um because you're spending so much more money to set up a character which then makes you naturally slightly more cautious i think uh about losing them so i'm yeah right that makes sense but um i tend to get the funniest name but but also but also (laughs) yeah that is a good method but um but also up until the last patch, it was it was a game in which long guns uh, were vastly overpowered over the the sort of sh- short to mid range, unless you had a, like a super short range shotgun. Um, yeah. And now things have evened up a lot more. So actually, I have been playing a, a, a quite a lot more aggressively than in the past because suddenly there's a, there's a a, a much greater range of play styles that are that are actually viable i think and and more cheaply as well i think they've done a great job rebalancing the weapons actually in the last last patch it's very cool i don't know sorry i took that question and i turned it into an opportunity just to talk about fucking hunt showdown (laughs) that's Um, all right 
But to be honest, uh, you're lucky that doesn't happen with every question. So there you go. <laughs> Uh, it's so gratifying to see you embrace a game in the way that I feel about the games that I won't stop fucking talking about. <laughs> and I mean that genuinely. <laughs> you know? It's yeah. a good place to be when something fascinates you like that. And Hunt is a very worthy game for it. It's very, very good. Yeah, I do love it. Would you like a different Alex... question? Oh, sorry, Alex. Oh, yeah. I was going to ask Alex if he's ever experienced rage. No, he's the most no. temperate man. I don't know. My children managed to inspire rage in me. <laughs> <laughs> I tend to, I've, I do get annoyed with games, but it, I, I, it's so temporal and I just switch off. It makes me just want to switch it off. So I do. And then I don't tend to do sort of uh, destructive things as a result, mm. which is probably a good thing. Mm. Yeah, I don't really. I think we had that question before, like how many pads have you smashed? And the answer is... None. Mm, yeah, quite a Yet. few. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe I'm doing a Chris and just bottling it all up. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Alex, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you, if your evident physical degradation is not a sign of, yeah, of the, the withering of your soul, then I, you yeah. know, I don't know. Yeah, the paper-like skin that's, that's stretched torn across... Skull. You should get One a, day we're just gonna yeah. <laughs> we're just gonna hear like a bong, and the phrase "humanity restored" will appear, and you'll just look at right. Anyway, can we have another question, Martin? Yes. Um, friend from Discord, TJ House says hello. When I was hello. small, <laughs> hello. <laughs> When I was small, I played a 16-bit Windows game called Warpath. It was a 2D game set in space. Upgradable ships, diplomacy, combat, mining, colonization, etc. The usual. You could mine resources from uninhabited planets and sell the resources to inhabited ones. The price you got for your cargo was inversely proportional to the resources the planet already had. The less they had, the more they'd pay. You could also colonize uninhabited planets with a kind of humanity bomb. I pretty quickly worked out the winning strategy was to siphon off every last useful, useful atom from a planet, dump some colonists on it, and then sell their planet's resources back to them at exorbitant prices. What's the most oh. ruthlessly capitalist thing you've done in a game? <laughs> Do those people have money? That's my question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just bottle caps. It's just that's, that's all they're giving you. So your kind of your empire is kind of resting on this kind of crap that these poor disenfranchised people are using in lieu of proper money, and in the game. Oh, <laughs> oh. doesn't make any sense. Don't know why I said it. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of examples of this. I think the thing that sprung to my mind recently has been Animal Crossing, mm. and this is probably not too terribly egregious, really, but. I found myself, there's, there are opportunities because it, it has a nice sort of economic mechanism whereby um, after you have found something once or come across a recipe once or an item once or a fossil once, um, you probably don't need it. So it's a perfect opportunity to create giveaway zones in your island, which is what a lot of the very uh, Pip does and, and her friends do and very active players who are always visiting each other do. 
you have a little zone where people can stop by on their way back to the airport and take a present home with them or leave something for someone else. And it's all very kind of, it's lovely and, and genuinely collective and, and fun and wholesome. But I don't enjoy uh, the, I don't oh. enjoy clutter very much at all. Like I'm a bit, I have a bit of the old kind of um, neat freak about me and they quite like my island and I have stuff lying around. And I don't I like, I think I've said on this, this on the Animal Crossing pods, I quite like to not ever have a full inventory or be storing things I don't need. I kind of like things to be tidy and, and, you know, without loads of unnecessary possessions, which is not at all how I am in, in, in real life. But it is, it's just uh, the psychic damage it causes. It's like an ongoing damage over time. Um, <laughs> but the... Um, but in the game, I can at least do something about it. I could do something about it in, in real life as well, but I, I won't. Um, the in in the game, what I can do is just if I find the superfluous thing, I just sell it to the little raccoons. Honestly, mm. I, and it's like I know that what the game is doing is setting up a, a, a mechanic whereby I I find value in it once, and I enjoy that, or I give it to the museum or something, and then everything else is there as a a little dangling prompt for me to reach out to somebody else and barter and trade and share each other's lives. And I don't want to. And so I won't. So I sell them all to a raccoon for not very much money. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, do you, do you and, do you and Pip share the same console or do you? you play no, 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 <laughs> no, no, um, no, no, I mean, and, and no, um, no, um, the, no, and the re- the reason for that isn't like negative or anything. It's that you know, uh, Animal Crossing is is probably Pep's favorite game ever, and the thought that we'd be able to successfully share a console and give her enough time to play it would, is it's not possible. Uh, we have, yeah. in fact, I I got her the, the Animal Crossing Switch as a as a a, a late uh, belated birthday gift because I knew that well, I knew that she would appreciate it and that it would give her you know, the, the run of her own Animal Crossing Island, but also because it means that I would ever see my Switch again. <laughs> so the, um, so I, I, I mean, I, I think I talked about it maybe last week or the week before, um, that we, we, our family has, is, is all on one Island. Um, uh, my son, Jack is not playing, but my daughter Hester and wife Hannah are playing. So it's the three of us playing and, um, so Hannah's Hannah's very um, so regarding kind of horrible capitalistic selfish behaviour. Um, Hannah's very um, egalitarian. She, whenever there is one of those glowy patches on the ground, where um, if you dig up that patch, you get a thousand bells. She will always put ten thousand bury ten thousand bells in its place, um, and then when the tree that grows as a result of that burial, um, are bearing three bags of however many bells it is, 10,000 each. 10,000 each, yeah. Yeah, it triples it, doesn't it? So if you put 1,000 back, that's right, you get three 1,000s. Yeah, so... um, um, and she intends those three um, bags that that grow from its boughs to be shared between the three of us playing. Um, uh, So... so, (laughs) My daughter Hester steals all all of the money on the trees. Um, Hannah will sometimes. Well, if Hannah gets to the tree first, she'll shake it. Um, all three jo- uh, fall down, and she'll she'll take one of them. There'll be two left there. Hester will just hoover them up. Um, <laughs> Hannah shouts at her. Um, if ever I see one of the glowy patches. I just take the ten uh, the, the thousand and dig it back. It's like cover it over. Can't be bothered with with another fucking tree you know take the money now 
Anna doesn't like that at all. So, but I still think that I'm better than Hester because she actually steals. I only steal the potential for money. So I think that I am better, I would say. Hannah is yeah. blameless and pure in all ways. So, you know, like she's just better than all of us. She, uh, so also another thing in the game, obviously, you know, Chris, you can build um, uh, uh, ramps and bridges and stuff. Um, and when you cite those building projects, there's a little guy called a gyroid sits there and he says, hey, buddy, give me 200,000 bells and, and well, to complete this project. And um, Hannah's, Hannah basically funds everything <laughs> because I can't be bothered. And Hester uh, blows all her money on outfits um, and random crap like an aluminium briefcase, uh, which was 10,000 bells. Last night, um, you open it and it's full of gold. But of course, the gold isn't, it's just decorative. Uh, and she just blows her money on crap. And that's basically an accurate rendition of what you're like in real life, too. <laughs> <laughs> that's the magic of the <laughs> I'm afraid of my things. I would rather sell them to a little raccoon than listen to a friend. <laughs> because the raccoon is closer. The raccoon in this analogy is a bin. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm totally with you. Marsh, have you done a bad capitalism? No, I, th well, I think a lot cool. of games. I think a lot of <laughs> games are just incredibly capitalist in 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 their structure. I think Minecraft, for example. I mean, nearly all games, but certainly Minecraft in particular, is uh, acquisitive in its in its nature. It it, it sees the world as uh, just uh, resources to be exploited. Um, and you essentially strip mine everything and turn it into wealth uh, or, 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 or do as you wish with it. And that seems to be just how games, there is a certain sort of player centric nature to games, which is unavoidable, which I think just chimes almost exactly with the, uh, the way that capitalism perceives the self as, as the ultimate mover, the self-interest. Mm. Uh, and I think a lot of games end up being structured like that. I'd be interested to play games which were designed from the ground up with some other system of commerce or social organization as maybe not literally represented, but as they're sort of the inspiration for the way that the the, the mechanics distribute uh, resources and incentivize their their usage. There's a, I've just started playing um, Pathologic 2. Oh, um, yeah. Which I mean, I don't. I'm not, I haven't played nearly enough to be able to really comment on very deeply. But um, the in that game, you barter with people, so everything has everything that you pick up from uh, loaves of bread to you know bottles to um, revolver bullets has a barter value, which is you know, it's, it's basically just you know it's a monetary value, but you barter the object. To be able to get other objects, there is no money. You don't never convert anything into money, and um, and I understand, and I can start. I'm starting to see it that the survival mechanics in the game are, are feel punitive. Like you are always hungry, you are always thirsty, um, and you are constantly having to weigh up the value of having a revolver or to um, having some food that you meant to give to a character in the game um, and weighing up that for getting some food with it instead. Um, 
and you know so therefore it's not capitalistic in the sense it's it's very survival based like i, I suppose it, it's it's sort of close close to capitalism but it's mostly what can i possibly do to survive in this situation which i think is maybe a subtle difference hmm well those are all the questions that we had time for if you'd like to send us a question you can do so at questions at creatingcrowbar.com or you can tweet us at creatingcrowbar these podcasts are uploaded as videos to youtube and you can find other nonsense by us there as well um, the address for that is youtube.com slash creatingcrowbar thanks as always to our lovely patreon backers you can back us too if you so wish at patreon.com slash creating crowbar or you can simply join our extraordinarily lovely discord community um, the link for which is on our website creatingcrowbar.com and that is the end of the podcast i've been marsh davis i've been chris thurston don't know why i said it like that i'm sorry <laughs> chris thurston and i'm alex Wilcher. lovely thanks for listening everybody It is fun, isn't it? A bit of silence.